Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 14 to 21. And Acts chapter 4. And we'll also look at Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 2. Okay, have I mentioned it yet? Happy Father's Day. Uh, it's always interesting when you come up to a holiday because it's like, okay, do you preach about the holiday or do you continue in the Word? Sometimes we do one or the other. Today we're going to continue in the Word, but I'm like, okay, it's Father's Day. And our text says, do not be drunk with wine. Is there any story that we could start off with, any illustration that might be uh, might fit both things? I found one. I'm not sure you'll be happy I found one, but here it is. A man is waiting for his wife to give birth. He's about ready to be a dad. Father's Day. The doctor comes in and informs the dad that his son was born without a torso or arms or legs. The son is just a head. But the dad loves his son and raises him as well as he can with love and compassion. After 21 years, the son is old enough for his first drink. Dad takes him to the bar and tearfully tells the son he is proud of him. Dad orders up the biggest, strongest drink for his boy. With all the bar patrons looking on curiously and the bartender shaking his head in disbelief, the boy takes his first sip of alcohol. Whoosh! Out pops a torso. The bar is dead silent. Then bursts into a, a, a clap, clapping applause. That The father, shocked, begs his son to drink again. The pan, patrons chant, take another drink. The bartender still shakes his head in dismay. Whoosh! Two arms pop out. The bar goes wild. The father, crying and wailing, begs his son to drink again. The patrons chant, take another drink. The bartender ignores the whole affair. But by now, the boy is getting tipsy. And, and with his new hands, his brand new hands, he reaches down, he grabs his drink and guzzles up the last of it. Whoosh! Two legs pop out. By this time, the bar is in chaos. The father falls to his knees and tearfully thanks God. The boy stands up on his new legs and stumbles to the left and to the right. Right out the front door into the street where a truck runs over and kills him. The bar falls silent. The father moans in grief and the bartender sighs and says, I knew it. That boy should have quit while he was ahead. <laughs> That's the best I could do. That. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I told you it was going to get worse from here. Um, <laughs> Ooh, nasty. There you go. All right. We're in Ephesians chapter five, verse 14. And it turns out that there actually is a, an ode to fatherhood right here in our text. A tribute to dads. These are words that nearly every father has spoken to a teenage child. Ephesians five fourteen. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. I, I want to begin this morning with a plea to any unbeliever here. Perhaps you're actually only here because it's Father's Day. You're like, I didn't have anything to, to give my dad for a present, so ta-da, dad, here's your present. I'll go to church with you. I believe that if that's the case, that God the Father arranged for you to be here today. A divine appointment. I think he wanted you to come here today so you could hear the words of the Father in heaven. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Just a reminder as we begin, the whole Bible, this is speaking to unbelievers, if you're, if you're new to the Bible, the Bible is basically the story of a father who has been rejected by his own creation. 
Right? Adam and Eve sinned. And since they sinned, death reigns. But the father sent his one and only son, his precious son, to break the curse of sin and death so that we who were dead in sins, like we sang, could be made alive. We could become alive. We could be adopted into the perfect, righteous family of God. The curse of the garden is reversed at the cross. Jesus conquered sin and death. And the picture is right there in Ephesians 5.14. Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. But also, does not not remind you of the story of Lazarus? Right? Lazarus was dead for four days. Jesus comes to Bethany. It's the, his Bethany project. He comes to Bethany and he comes to that funeral and he says, remove the stone. And Mary says, no, no, no. Jesus, said, it's too late. He stinketh. That's what the old King James says. But Jesus says, did I, did I not tell you if you would believe you would see that I have power over life and death? And he says, Lazarus, come forth. In other words, awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead and I will give you light. To the unbeliever, because there's not a whole lot here for you today other than this. You have to get this right before any of the rest of it makes sense. To the unbeliever, I think God has brought you here today. You might think it's too late. I stink too much. I'm too dead This is what Jesus does. He takes dead things and makes them live. Unbeliever, if nothing else, if you will let these words ring in your ears the rest of today, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, the rest of the message is for believers. Because this text is not primarily for unbelievers. It definitely applies No, actually, this whole letter, you guys know that have been here. This letter is written to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus, the Christians at Ephesus. It's written to believers just like these. And once again, to quiz you, Ephesians chapters one, two and three are written to the Christian. And it says, Christian, you are wealthy. Blessed beyond belief. Stuff you don't deserve. To be completely free of sin. To be completely fit for heaven. To be part of the family of God. Adopted into his family. So many things. You're blessed. Christian, you are wealthy. So, therefore, chapter 4, 5, and 6. Therefore, Christian, walk worthy. The idea is, look, you're a new creation. You're a brand new person. I'm not who I was. I'm being remade. I am new. The idea is you get to now choose between your old self. You can wear your old self, the old nasty, filthy rags, um, or you can wear the brand new you that Jesus purchased. Right. And if you've been with us, you know, Paul has been looking in our wardrobe, as it were. Every day you you, you wake up and, okay, am I going to wear this or am I going to wear this? You can wear the old, nasty, filthy rags that you used to wear before you were saved, before you were a new creation. Or you can wear the brand new righteous robes that Jesus purchased for you. And if you've been with us, you you know the the stuff we've been saying. Let's go kind of through that really quickly. Chapter 4, you guys can can, uh, respond, all right? Uh, Paul says, look, looking at our closet, looking at the old 
the, the old wardrobe. First he says, put off sinful anger. Ooh, nasty. Right? Put on the prompt pursuit of peace. New, righteous. Then he says, look, I want you to put off the, the old lying that you used to do. Ooh, nasty. That's the old you. But put on the truth. New, righteous. He says, I want you to put off stealing and freeloading. Ooh, nasty. I want you to put on free giving. Working real hard so that you can give to others. That's new, righteous. Put off rage, anger, malice. Ooh, nasty. Put on gentleness, kindness, forgiveness. New, righteous. See, all of these things, you look and you go, okay, that doesn't look anything like Jesus. That's the old me. Paul says it's got to go. But over here, all of these things, this is Jesus. And he's already in me and he's purchased all of this for me. I should be wearing these. I should wear these righteous robes that he's provided for me. Truly, in this sense, clothes make the man. Okay, last week, as we came to chapter 5, basically, Paul says, he looks in that same closet and he goes, okay, sexual impurity, all of it, it's got to go. Ooh, nasty. Put off that darkness instead. Put on the light. New, righteous. Okay, it's in that context, Christian. It's not to the unbeliever as much, but to the believer it's in that context that Paul quotes this chorus, I think, to the Christian. Ephesians 5.14 Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. A little bit of a wondering on my part. I don't, can't prove this, but I kind of wonder if this was maybe a Christian theme song. If it was a very familiar um, kind of altar call. Maybe they would sing it as a church every, every week. They would sing it to the unbelievers. Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. I kind of think that's probably what it was. It's an invitation. Look, we used to be filthy with sin. You, you can be clean. Awake. But if that's the case, then Paul kind of, he takes that and he turns it toward the, the saint themselves. And it's kind of, it's gentle, but it's stinging. It's that familiar uh, way that God works. And I think he might be saying to the saint, maybe even in this room, awake, you who sleep. Jesus has given you life. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. Again, I get the picture of Lazarus. When when Jesus raised him, he could have said, I think I'm just going to hang out here near the tomb. It's, you know, kind of where I've been for a little while. Or... Well, I'm going to go, I'll go forth, but I'm going to wear the old clothes. How ridiculous. It's as if Paul is saying, look, Christian, you've been raised from the dead. What are you still wearing those old grave clothes for? Are you still hanging out around the tomb? Why are you hanging out in the darkness? No, come out into the light. And this applies to all of the areas that we've looked at. Okay, and today Paul kind of wraps up this theme, this Look, walk differently because you are different. Dress differently because you are different. It says walk differently, like, not like the zombie that we looked at in chapter 2, right? Not like the zombie that you used to be, but walk like the miraculous new creation that you really are. That Jesus has declared, if you are in Christ, you are a brand new creation. 
Okay, that sets the tone. Look at verse 15. See then, I think he's kind of beginning to summarize here. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. First, he says, see then that you walk circumspectly. There's that word. Got plenty of folks defining it for us, right? They're correct. It's acrobos. It's where we get the word accurately. It's exactly. It's diligently, carefully. But listen to this. It's from the root word, akron. It's the farthest bounds, the uttermost parts, the highest end, the extreme of heaven and of earth. Just think Akron, Ohio. <laughs> no, I don't know why they named that, but that's probably what they were going for. It's it's to to be. The uttermost of the farthest bounds. It's where we get the word, y'all, acrobat. What does an acrobat do? They train exactly, diligently, carefully, so that they can soar higher, do more than what is possible. They can do what is impossible for us mere mortals, right? Circumspectly definitely means carefully, y'all, but... I think if we limit it to just the idea of being careful, I think we miss what Paul's getting at here. I think Paul is telling every Christian in this room, every Christian who reads the words, look, your walk should defy gravity. It should be something where your, your Christian walk is worthy of heaven, though you're walking here on earth. Your, your Christian walk should be above reproach. How many people here have been to a circus? I mean, besides your own house. Okay. A circus is where thousands of people look on. They marvel at just a few people who are defying gravity. And they say, how does that guy do that? How's the guy walk on a wire that thin, so high up? How do those acrobats soar with such confidence? How do they diligently, consistently defy gravity? Y'all, people should be saying similar things about us. When the rest of the world is lying, people should be looking at Christians going, those guys tell the truth. They defy the gravity, the easiest path, which is, look, our life, it helps me get out of this situation. Those Christians, they tell the truth, even if it costs them. They should look at Christians and go, the rest of the world steals and takes, but these guys give liberally. They should look... And say, the rest of the world rages and holds bitterness. But these Christians, they, they forgive and forget. They should be able to look at Christians and go, those guys can drive down I-4 and not cuss. It's amazing. It defies gravity. See, what Paul has called for in these last few weeks is no less than supernatural. It's a gravity-defying walk. What I read in here is, look, you were once a groundling. You were once a zombie. You are now seated in the heavenlies, Ephesians chapter 2. Now walk worthy of that high calling. Walk supernaturally. And this is what your walk should look like. Verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, that is, defy gravity. Not as fools, but as wise. Literally, it's not unlearned, but learned. Um, this seems to be the day for big, fancy words. The word I'm thinking of is acumen. It's smarts, intelligence. It's not unskilled, but skilled. 
for me, this comes into perfect focus when I realize that the disciples that Jesus chose were blue-collar men. Many of them were fishermen. God used the most unlikely of men to share the gospel with the whole world. Right when Jesus met them, they were unlearned. They were skilled really only at catching fish. And even then, right? Jesus says, hey, what have you caught? Peter's like, "Uh, nothing. They weren't even good at that sometimes. But Jesus looks at them, unlearned, unskilled men, and says, I'm going to train you to catch men. Y'all, you look at the disciples and it's basically a whole group of guys defying gravity. Doing what they should not be able to do. Jesus did not go to a group of seminary students and say, follow me and I will make you parsers of Greek words. He said, go to unlearned, unskilled men. That's what he went to. And he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They were defying gravity. And that's what he's called us to do. You guys realize that in Acts chapter 2, these fishermen, these blue-collar folks, hauled in 3,000 men. Matter of fact, look, turn to Acts chapter 4 and look at, at the hall that the, this group of men brought in. Blue-collar guys. Chapter 4, verse 4. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. That is quite a haul. Verse 5, And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. Y'all, this is the big dogs. This is the muckety-mucks. This is the the smartest people in Jerusalem when it came to the Scriptures, um, supposedly. And when they had set them in the midst, when they set Peter and John, in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, if that's what's bothering you, by what means he has been made well, well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and look and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men. They marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. You see it? Jesus takes the blue collar guys, says, I will train you. You know that he's saying that today. I will give you acumen. I will give you skills. Isaac, for whatever reason right now, is saying, I got skills. (laughs) Don't know where he picked that up. Jesus says, I'll take you just as you are and I will give you acumen. Let me ask you a question. I don't mean this to be offensive. It's funny, I hope, but it's true. Do people look at you on a regular basis and go, you know, you're smarter than you look. (laughs) They should. They should say of you, look, you're kind of wiser than your years. Something about you kind of defies gravity. 
People should look at you and me every day and go, okay, he's not really that smart. Something else must explain this. Oh, that's right. He's been with Jesus. Acumen. I've got some other A words. Uh, apprentice. I will make you my apprentice. Abide in me and I in you. Right? You can't do anything apart from me, but through me, you can do all things. Not only should we defy gravity in our acumen, but also we should be defying gravity in our awareness, our astuteness. There's another big word for you at verse 16. We should be redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, that's easy to to uh, be convicted just on the face of it. Basically, says don't be a time waster, but seize every moment. The idea is that time is a commodity, right? How many have noticed that that? It's kind of slipping by, right? In the words of that great theologian, Steve Miller, time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping. Paul is calling us to defy gravity even in the way that we deal with time. You guys realize that, right? The way that we deal with time should be different than the world around us. The word redeeming, exagarazzo. It's awesome. This actually means to get a great deal. To get a steal of a deal. How many couponers do we have here? Okay. I knew we have, must have some because we've got a whole fellowship for couponers. Um, Lisa told me, was it this week? She got a year's supply of uh, popcorn for how much? Five bucks. Everybody's like, I'm going to go talk to you later. It's a steal of a deal. It, what this means, the redeeming, it means to buy up, to buy up for oneself, for one's use. Listen to this definition. It's great to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good so that zeal and well-doing are, as it were, the purchase money by which we make time our own. Don't know if that's making sense to you, but it's to make the most of every opportunity to look and to go. That's a steal. I'm going to cash in on that. I wonder how many eternal opportunities we as Christians, let slip through our hands. There are steals out there. There are bargains in eternity, if you will. How many times do you, you maybe you're just like, look, I, maybe I should call that person and, and ask how I could pray for them. Of course, I know that person. It's probably going to cost me 20 minutes of my life. Maybe even 30. Could be that this is a steal of a deal. Eternity, there, there's... The, the value that this has compared to your time is a steal. Notice that it says redeeming the time for the days are evil. A couple different things that could mean, and maybe it means different to a couple different people. The, the obvious, I think, meaning is that the days are evil. Uh, the, this age, we live in the, in the, under the, the, right now under the thumb of the prince of the power of the air, Right. It could simply mean that the days want to suck you in. They want to steal from your eternity value uh, to make you a time waster, to to make you uh, miss opportunities. But what I wonder, to me, that there's probably more of us that that this fits. Evil also can mean, y'all, full of labors, hardships, trials. Anybody notice that lately it seems like life is full of labors, hardships, trials? What it could be that Paul's saying here, Christian, there's a tendency 
when times get tough, when things get like lost my job or, or whatever it might be, I'm dealing with health things. There's a tendency to be insular, to come just, OK, I'm just going to survive. I can bless other people later when I'm through this. Could be Paul saying, look, there's deals of a deal out there. Don't don't miss them because the days are evil, because your life is hard. I think God could be saying to some in the room, wake up. Don't fritter away the eternal opportunities that I have for you just because this current life is hard. Paul says life is tough. Days are hard. And this is when opportunities abound for eternal purposes. I mean, this is a theme that's happened uh, very consistently. And I notice it when we go to the pastor's conference, uh, you know, there are the terrible things that have happened in uh, Joplin, Missouri and in Japan and uh, there are some churches that are, are well positioned and basically as soon as that happens, they have a team that's ready to go. Why? Because there's opportunities in the midst of great trials. Really, when you think about it, that's what the Bethany Project is. It's here's an opportunity. There's hurting people. Here's a chance that God has to redeem this, to make it something that's awesome. OK, verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise Literally, without reflection or intelligence, uh, don't be acting rashly, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, that phrase is interesting. It means to put two and two together to to do the math. Now, to me, this totally goes right along with seizing the moment, right? It means not to walk through your life concentrating only on yourself and your circumstances, going through the motions, doing the best that you know how in your own eyes, but instead... Verse 17, to understand what the will of the Lord is. That is, be in tune with what God is doing, what he wants. It means to, to not just have your sight set on your own circumstances, but to have your head in the heavens. Not just to be reacting to what is happening to you without reflection or thought, but instead put two and two together. It's asking the question when your car dies, Lord, what are you up to? Have you got an assignment for me here? It's asking the question, um, I think, of, of Marsha, who um, I had my biopsy Friday. We don't know how it's going to turn out. Probably know in the middle of the week. But whenever I think of this big, big, big bad thing called cancer, Marsha went through it saying, perhaps I'm God's soldier. And he sent me on this journey right now. It's seeing what God is up to and jumping in. Y'all, that's a great example of it of being in tune with God, seizing the moment, turn to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who enter the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Okay, this is all about defying gravity, right? Not missing your opportunities, being awake, being alert, being astute. Y'all, if Peter and John had not defied gravity, this is how this scene would have ended. Uh, hey, sorry, I didn't bring any cash. Or maybe Peter says to John, hey, don't make eye contact. But instead, Peter was in tune with what God was up to. And he's going to seize the moment. Look, verse four. And fixing his eyes on him, Peter with John said, look at us. 
So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. Okay, how many of you can relate to that? (laughs) Okay, that's your circumstance. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, with them, walking, leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Y'all, they're... They just saw somebody defy gravity. They, they saw the, the person who was just looking for a handout. They saw him get up and walk. But they also saw Peter and John basically go, uh, I got nothing for you except, oh, well, there's this. That's defying gravity. That's an amazing, abundant life. A life where we have the acumen of Jesus because we're his apprentices. A life where we have the astuteness of Jesus, where we see opportunities. We seize opportunities even in difficulty, actually, especially in difficulty. And we seize them because we sense what the Lord is up to. Y'all, that that should be really regular in our lives where we sense, oh, Lord, this is what you're up to. He might not speak it in words, but in circumstances. Do you see that the Christian life is truly supposed to be defying gravity? It's supposed to be amazing. It's supposed to be astounding. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and that more abundantly. Anybody interested in that? Turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 5. If you are, you're thinking, okay, great, but, but how? Well, verse 18, first Paul says, here's how not. And do not be drunk with wine. Drunk, intoxicated, to be controlled by. To, to, and it doesn't mean you have to be uh, falling down drunk. To, to be buzzed would include that as well. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. First Paul says, look, I can tell you how not to defy gravity. If you're drunk with wine... You won't be defying gravity. If you're intoxicated with any drug, for that matter, if you're high or you're stoned. I had, you know, it was a three-minute movie. That's the the longest we've had so far. Uh, There was six minutes of footage. And some of the things that I asked that were on the cutting room floor. Sorry, Ophelia. uh, One of the questions I asked was this. Look, let's say you're a tightrope walker, an acrobat. You're getting ready to walk. Out on that rope. And you're thirsty. And right there, there's two drinks to choose from. There's one thing that will make you smarter and quicker and more alert. And there's another drink that will make you slower, stupider, a little slow on the uptake. I asked someone else, look, if you were a trapeze artist and you were a flyer, that is, you were one who who flies through the air and the other person is the catcher, and you heard that your catcher, your partner was knocking back a few. Would you want to have a chat with him? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The word dissipation. Maybe this will help. Profligacy. Prodigality. No? (laughs) Um, 
No, it really does mean that they were they were onto it. It means to loosen, to dissolve. Okay, it means to to live a life that gets in the Greek. It's actually a socia. A is the the anti and sotia is where we get the word soteriology. It means to save. And it basically what it's saying is it's the opposite of safe. Dissipation literally means waste by misuse. It's unrestrained indulgence in physical pleasures, especially alcohol, but but any kind of drug. It's excessive expenditure, wastefulness. It means to be used up in the thesaurus. Here's the words you would find. Self-gratification, squandering to hell in a handbasket. It's literally there when you look up this word dissipation. And the last word in the thesaurus is waste. Well, if you're here today and you get drunk. If you get intoxicated, if you get buzzed, if you say, hey, I'm just trying to get a little loose. That's dissipation. It's to be loosened. Y'all, there's a reason they call it wasted. If you're, and if you're a Christian and you're still getting drunk or high or stoned, I want to be really direct with you. You are wasting the life that God rescued God redeemed you, and now you are not redeeming the time that you have left. How could you possibly seize opportunities? How could you possibly be astute and aware when your judgment is clouded? How could you possibly know what the Lord wants? I mean, it should be obvious. Those who get drunk can't even walk a straight line on earth, let alone on a high wire. There is no way to live a life that defies gravity. There's no way to soar above the crowd when you're wasted. I've been praying all week. As you're probably starting to see, I'm, I'm doing every week. I feel like the Lord is telling me, pray for the win. Pray for, for what it is that I want to accomplish. The Lord and I are having a conversation about you guys. Make you nervous? Um, and, and what I'm praying for is a crisis. Again, crisis sounds like a bad word, but it's a good word. It's a dividing line. I've been praying that if you get drunk, this would be the dividing line today. But every day before this day, on one side, today and following, on the other side. That you'll put off being drunk with wine or high or stone. All of it is to be wasted and be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Because that's where he says, Acts 4.18, the only way that you could possibly live a supernatural, gravity-defying life is to be filled with the Spirit. Look, turn to Acts chapter 2 now. You see, notice that we're in Acts 4, Acts 3, Acts 2. You know why? Because these are the chapters where the Holy Spirit is the most obvious. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house as they were sitting. First service. Some noises happened over here when I read that. It's pretty crazy. Waiting for it. Okay. 
Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, uh, Jews. There were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused. What is going on? Because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Notice verse 13. Others mocking said, They're full of new wine. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, these mere fishermen, blue-collar guys, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. I guess they do their real drinking after the fourth hour of the day. (laughs) But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Look at this. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servant and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Y'all, this is supernatural. This is defying gravity. Peter says to these guys, look, yes, they are speaking in other tongues. I know it's unusual, but you need to know they are not controlled by wine. Oh, they're controlled. They're possessed. They're they're doing something that's different than they would normally do. They're controlled by the Holy Spirit. But please notice this. They weren't speaking gibberish. They weren't dumber. They were smarter. It says, basically, do you notice in in this whole message that the Spirit of God does not make us dumber, does not loosen us up, does not make us slower? No, it makes us smarter, gives us more acumen, like Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. The Spirit of God helps us seize opportunities, makes us more alert, more astute, like Peter and John in Acts chapter 3. Again, I've been praying, asking the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want for your beloved this morning? It's very simple. I think one of the things he really wants is for some of his beloved to be delivered from drunkenness. To put it off. It's the old man. It's nasty. It doesn't fit the new you. It's wasting the life that God has redeemed. That's what he wants for some. Here's what he wants for all of us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In, in the Greek, the, the, the actual um, tense of it is to be ye being filled over and over again. Um, whether or not you have been, quote unquote, baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is basically saying you need to be continually over and over again, be being filled. Maybe you guys have heard that again. Uh, One lady came to an old preacher and said, why do you keep preaching on the filling of the Holy Spirit? I mean, isn't once enough? Why must we be filled over and over again? The guy says, well, because we leak. (laughs) Maybe you're you're nervous when I talk about that. What is is to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it look like? I mean, is God going to make me speak in tongues? 
Well, people did speak in tongues when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians, look, not everyone's going to do that. But here's what I want to show you. Once again, he's, it's not loose. It's not scary. No, it's, it's awesome. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, 20, and 21, and you'll see what it looks like when a whole church is filled with the Holy Spirit. So overflowing. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. That sounds awful, doesn't it? Scary. No. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always. Last week, remember, we talked about sexual impurity. One of the things... It's when you are pursuing things that you shouldn't sexually, I can guarantee you that you're not thankful. I can guarantee you that you're not satisfied. You're going after that because you think for whatever reason you're not satisfied with, with God's parameters around your life or with the, the mate that he's given you. Verse 20 says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks is a, is a wonderful way to remind yourself to be, uh, to be content. And then in verse 21, actually, we, we won't have time, but 21, we jump off into a whole new section. This is, this is the, you guys can pray for me because in the next few weeks we're going to be covering uh, wives, submit to your husbands. <laughs> Do there's a reason that it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own. It's going to say to the, the husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I mean, yeah, I want to, but really? Yeah, the Holy Spirit is the only way. It's defying gravity. When people look at our marriages, they should go, those guys aren't normal. In, in a good way. Here's what, it, here's what it boils down to. is not to be controlled by wine or drugs or sex or rage, but instead to be controlled by the loving, gracious, gentle spirit of God. You say that. That sounds good. How would, how would I do that? Luke 11. I want to close with this. Words from Jesus. Luke chapter 11, verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. How do you be filled, be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit? Ask. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread... Oh, look at this. Father's Day. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's all say it louder. Ask Him. I want to share one more story with you. The first service didn't get this. You guys are so lucky. Father's Day. A lumberjack had raised his only son and managed to finance the young man's college education by the only way he knew how. 
cutting down trees by hand. The young man had helped his father cut down some of those trees. He knew how hard his father had worked to put him through college. When the son started college, he promised himself that the first thing he would do would be to buy his father a present that would make the old man's life easier. Son saved and scrimped and finally had enough money to purchase the finest chainsaw in the world. On a school vacation, the son asked his dad how many trees he could cut down in one day. The father, a large husky man, thought and said on a good day he was able to bring down about 20 trees. The son gave his father the brand new chainsaw and said from now on he would be able to triple that amount and work only half as hard. The old man was very pleased and he, he said he had the best son in the world. The young man, young man left for uh, school the next morning and wasn't able to return until the next school break three months later. When he arrived, he immediately noticed that his dad appeared run down. He asked his father if he was feeling all right. The old man replied that cutting trees was getting harder and harder. And now with the new chainsaw, he was working longer hours, but not cutting as many trees as before. Son knew there was something wrong and thought perhaps the, the saw that he purchased wasn't as good as, as advertised. He asked to check it out. Upon examining it, he checked the oil, oiler and it was full. He checked the gas and it too was full. He yanked on the cord and immediately it roared to life. His father grabbed him by the shirt and said, what noise? What was that? Get it. Sinking in? Okay. Could it be that we're trying to do stuff in our own strength? Trying to resist temptation? Trying to walk a supernatural life? And we haven't even yanked the cord? My Father will give a good gift to anyone who asks. Therefore, ask.